to remind us that the light of faith will continue to grow, even if only a few of the faithful remain. We'll need more than luck this time, friend. We need a miracle. Darkness to Light, hosted by Emily and Alan Middleton. We aim to explore what takes place at the corner of theology and geekology. Episode 3, the 2015 Holiday Special. Welcome to Episode 3 of Dorkness to Light. This is our show where we take a look at pop culture, mostly comic books, in terms of where those stories intersect with concepts of religion, faith, theology, and spirituality. And at this... The most wonderful time of the year. There's only one logical choice for what this episode could be about. The story of Hanukkah. Oh, I thought you were going to say Life Day. Oh, God, no. That is such a relief. Oh, you get out. (laughs) That is true. We are looking at Hanukkah today. Today we're looking at the second story in issue 188 of Justice League of America, cover dated all the way back in March 1981. The Miracle. At 22,300 miles, was written by Jerry Conway, with art by Rich Buckler and Frank McLaughlin. We know that a good chunk of listeners also listen to our mainstream comic podcasts, and I did indeed discuss this story on episode 52 of The Quarterbin as part of the Conway crossover event of May 2015. But instead of reading Alan's synopsis from that episode, again, we are going to tell you a story which begins one night on the JLA satellite, high above the Earth. Serene as the stars that surround it, the silent sentinel drifts in a sea of space. Many miles below, the world's billions team, striving, struggling, even on this day of festival, celebrated by millions of its people. For certain Justice Leaguers, too, this day will have a special meaning, Five of them will remember it as the day of the miracle at 22,300 miles. So in this story, we have Hawkman and Hawkgirl, who have taken over uh, satellite monitor duty for the night, talking about, interestingly enough, exile, since neither of them can live on their home planet of Thanagar. And Shaira is very sad and wistful about this, and Katar is comforting her by saying that she isn't actually alone, even though she feels so isolated Mm -hmm. that there are thousands of people on Earth who have been exiled from from their homelands. And so there's actually a a lot that she has in common with all of these people. And if I've learned anything from the history of humanity's people, it's that, Katar says. There's always hope. And even though there is hope... There is pretty much always danger. As we see when you turn the page, there is a satellite rocketing towards the JLA headquarters. Meanwhile, on Earth, on the campus of Ivy Town University, Ray Palmer and his not-yet-crazy wife, Jean Loring, are heading out to a Hanukkah party at one of his colleagues' house, who was also a 
friend of Jean's back in law school. Mm-hmm. And Ray confesses that, uh, you know, I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm not very religious. And uh, Stu, the host of this gathering, says that it's a lot more about tradition than religion, and proceeds to spend, like, six panels describing the history and the meaning of Hanukkah, that it celebrates the history of the Maccabees over King Antiochus IV Epiphanes, and that was back in 165 B.C., and all of the things that it means that it was uh, a reaffirmation of religious freedom for the Jewish people that were rising up to protect themselves from persecution, as happens. And then Ray specifically, you know, points to the menorah and asks about the eight candles. And Stu explains, well, it's representative of the fact that even though there was only enough oil to keep the lamp burning in the temple for one night, it was able to last for eight. It's a symbol of uh, the light that will continue to grow even if there are only a few of the faithful who remain. So it's a very, very cool scene, you know, explains the history of Hanukkah pretty quickly and sets up our, our light motif <laughs> for the rest of the story. But at that moment, several miles to the southwest, at an airfield outside Gotham City. There are criminals. Be Criminaling. Well, we said it's Gotham City, so isn't that kind of redundant? Yeah, maybe a little. And the bad guys worry that cops are coming, but it's even worse. They're not cops. It's Batman and some blonde. And Black Canary is highly offended by this. She's like, hey, I'm the one who did all the legwork. I just called in Batman to help me bring you guys in because I needed the extra set of hands. But no, no, he's the one who's going to get the credit. Okay, you know what? I'm going to kick you in the face. Make sure it goes down to the police report. I brought you in. <laughs> so there. <laughs> so, of course, Bats and Canary kick butt, take names, beat up the bad guys. Commissioner Gordon's on his way in. And as Batman is begging Black Canary to not tell him about her relationship problems with G.A. Well, I mean, really, it wouldn't be a holiday story if your friends and work companions weren't attempting to tell you about all their relationship woes. But fortunately, as Batman, with an incredible look of relief on his face, whoo, it's the JLA emergency alarm. <laughs> oh, quickly, we've got to go run into danger. Stop a thing. Oh, thank God. Please stop telling me about you and Ollie, please. I don't want to know. Something's wrong up at the satellite. And something is very wrong up at the satellite as the control panels are exploding. There's debris going everywhere. The satellite is under attack. From uh, laser cannons on this this unknown UFO, basically, that's come into JLA space and has opened fire on the satellite. And they realized that before the communications went down, they were only able to get that emergency message out to a couple of the people. Then it's up to us, Shaira. Something's attacking our HQ. We've got to stop it before it peels the satellite apart. So Hawkman takes off and with a little bubble on his head to go and attempt to take this thing apart barehanded, basically, because Hawkgirl even says, we don't have any of our weapons, we don't have any advanced Thanagarian tools, what's he going to do? And the answer, because he's Hawkman, basically punch it into submission. Now here's the thing, I understand that due to Hawkman's abilities, he can fly out in space, but fortunately... 
Katar is not affected by the cold of space because he can go out virtually topless <laughs> into the cold, cold dark of space. Dad, he spent five years in space. He doesn't get cold. <laughs> and the evil satellite machine does shoot at him and grazes him. So he is a little, he's a little under the weather. Meanwhile, aboard the Justice League satellite, a few members of the League are able to show up to help out just before the transporter explodes. So we have Batman and Black Canary, and then the Atom, who has evidently whisked himself away from the Hanukkah party, just in time to make it. He even says, you caught me at a party, but they made it. And Hawkgirl is attempting to put out the fire aboard the satellite. So they are they are in trouble. Because if there's one thing I learned from the Martian, the last place mm. that you want a fire is in space. Because the immediate result of a fire in space will be death <laughs> by the fire in space. And Shaira points out, you were right about one thing. Our circuitry must have been terribly overloaded. When you three arrived in the transporter, that system blew out. And Adam says, so what exactly is going on? He says, we're being attacked. Some sort of killer satellite. And the computer said that it was from Earth. So they're not under alien invasion. It's just really bad luck, basically. <laughs> and she says, Kadar is out there now trying to dismantle this thing. And it's not going all that great. Yeah, the best he's able to do is just try and rip out the power supply and hope that it won't explode. It explodes, taking out the satellite, but also knocking him unconscious. So he's just floating around out in space. Do you know that expression, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? When all you have is a mace. Everything looks like an evil weapon that needs to be destructed. Yeah, yeah. So let's just say that Katar does not necessarily have the most deft, technical, surgical hand mm, yeah. when it comes to dealing with electronics. You know, it's a really good thing that Batman and the Atom are here because he can't fix anything. And it does explode on him. His scream is as silent as the explosion that caused it. For several seconds, the satellite erupts yeah. like a bundle of fireworks. Then both man and machine are still, as still as death. You know, I just want to take a little sidebar and say, I'm kind of proud of the scientific accuracy that's yeah. going down in this. Everyone has to have face bubbles on. The Hawks are super invulnerable, so they can go out in space. But there's no air out there. So their wings don't actually work. He's got like a jetpack gravity mm -hmm. thruster thing. Good job. In space, no one can hear you blow up. <laughs> Good work, Jerry the Extraordinary Conway. So back in the satellite, they are monitoring the explosion. And now... They see that Hawkman's just floating out there. They've got to go send a rescue team to go get him. And the Atom is, meanwhile, tinkering with the wires. And he says, I hate to mention this, Sayera, but Hawkman may not be the only one of us who needs help. This used to be our life support system. Adam, what are you saying? And then Batman makes a couple of points. One, he says, we're trapped in a crippled space station. He said, without air or heat. And then he also adds... And I'm Batman. 
Well, yes. Because, you know, he always punctuates that every third right, or fourth exactly. se- sentence. So, mm-hmm. And all they have is one EVA suit. So one person who's not the Hawks can actually go out in space. And there are three squishy people who cannot survive the harsh, cold vacuum of space. That being Batman, Adam, and Black Canary. And so they decide that the only way to fix this horrible situation is to divide and conquer. Black Canary is going to don that one EVA suit and go bring in Hawkman. Hawk Girl is going to dip down into the atmosphere and try and zip around the planet to the other side of Earth, where her Thanagarian ship is docked, Mm -hmm. I suppose, is waiting, and attempt to bring a backup power supply. While Adam and Batman stay on the ship and try and repair the life support system and buy them a little bit of time. And they know the round trip is going to take Shaira an hour. And they know they do not have enough life support for that. So it's a race against time. They have to get Hawkman back into the ship before his air supply Mm -hmm. in his apparatus goes out. Hawkgirl has to get back from the other side of the planet with the replacement power supply so that they can fix the life support. And Batman and Adam have to try to repair the equipment so it can last longer than an hour. They are in trouble. Right. And after a little while, the Adam reappears and passes out from lack of air and the dropping temperature. And so they've got Hawkman and Adam back and Black Canary and Batman are sort of trying to stabilize them, make sure they're able to breathe. And... Fortunately, whatever the Adam did before he passed out must have worked because they can feel the heat coming back on. They're starting to breathe a little bit easier. So now we just have to hope and pray the repairs that they made will last long enough. The hour passes, and though much of the tension has already left them, the Batman and Black Canary still feel greatly relieved when Hawkgirl appears from out of the starry darkness. So she has the replacement, it's hooked into the main computer, and their equipment should start functioning properly again without whatever hot wiring they had to do. Batman points out that there's something odd here. Points out the wrecked unit that he and Adam had repaired, but when he looked at it more closely, the system wires were hardly even touched. Adam wakes up at this point and says, As soon as I saw them, I knew it was useless to try and repair them. I did the best I could, but the cold got to me before I could actually fix anything. And then Batman asks, well, Adam, if you didn't repair the unit, then how in heaven did the life support system stay working all this time? We needed a miracle, Batman, and we got one. I think I'd better tell you all a story I heard earlier today. It's about another miracle that happened at a temple more than 2,000 years ago. The end. And everyone is together for the Festival of Light, to celebrate having a miracle where the air lasted longer than it should have. This is a great story. I love this one. Because when I first read it, I thought that the beginning part was just a little seasonal character building. Mm -hmm. It was not until the last couple of panels, maybe the last page or two, that I realized that the Hanukkah story was being tied into their story. I That caught me by surprise. And that caught me by surprise, even though the story is has the word miracle in it. Yeah, right there in the title. And we very specifically told the entire Hanukkah story. 
The clues were there. We just didn't pick up on them, and I didn't pick up on it either. And that's a... Like, we're, we're sort of used to this story of the modernization of the Christmas story, that you're, you'll see an episode set at some sitcom in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And on Christmas, the there's a man and a pregnant woman, run. and they need a place to stay, and no one can find them, so you make a bed for them under the concierge desk and have to find <laughs> someone to deliver the baby, and everyone comes together and brings him presents. And it's like, I mean, we've seen that story. We've certainly seen a million takes on Dickens. Christmas oh, yeah. Carol, either sort of official formal ones mm-hmm. or, again, sitcoms or, or drama shows, their versions of that, or It's a Wonderful Life. I was going to say, everyone's, everyone's done their version of It's a Wonderful Life and their version of Christmas Carol and their version of all of these sorts of, you know, different takes on the Kris Kringle story. Mm-hmm. And we see all of these, like, specials all the time. There are not very many Hanukkah stories, and definitely not very many modernized Hanukkah stories. And I don't think there are really any Hanukkah stories that are as retold as well as this, for like really matching the setting Mm -hmm. of the story. It just works beautifully. I mean, the story itself is a high drama, life or death story. Mm -hmm. Just without the framing sequence. It's a dramatic 10-page backup story. Mm Mm-hmm. With the framing sequence, it's a great Hanukkah story. And we were thinking about, you know, when we found this issue, of course, we're going to have to cover that issue at some point because there are so few Hanukkah stories, definitely in comics. And then we were sort of hard-pressed to be like, can we think of another one, just one other Hanukkah story? And you sort of plumbed the depths of your comic collecting. You know, I've just got, you know, a half dozen or so of the... DC Christmas holiday specials, a couple of the Marvel versions as well. So, and those are all anthology books with five or six or seven stories. So maybe I looked at 30 or 40 individual stories total and I found one that was sort of Hanukkah-ish a little bit. That was the setting, but That's, it wasn't really the story. There have been some of just like, and then at the end say, oh, and it's the first day of Hanukkah. So I need to go spend time with my family right. or, So-and-so can't be here because they're at a Hanukkah party. And then they show up at the end and say, Happy Holidays and Happy Hanukkah. Right. There was not one as clear-cut as this Mm -mm. one that I could find. Mm -mm. Not one that actually, like, integrates the themes as well. Of, like, we hit all of the major plots. Exile and family and hope and survival and Mm -hmm. a necessary resource lasting longer (laughs) than than it it had any right to. We got an actual miracle. And it's like, this is... It was just really good. I don't know how many more times I can say it was really good, but it was really good. And we were thinking... Well, there's got to be a Ben Grimm Hanukkah story. That was the first thing I typed in. But really, in canon, Ben's Jewishness has really only been a sort of a official, formal part of his character for a little over a decade. I, I couldn't find evidence of a Ben Grimm Hanukkah story. And and there are other Jewish characters, as we've talked about. There's certainly plenty of Jewish writers, you know, throughout the history of comic books. This one sort of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, it's not a holiday issue. It's not. And I don't even know that I've seen this. I did not see this story reprinted in some of those DC holiday you Which know, really, versions. Which so. really, massive oversight. <laughs> massive oversight. And even with the... This is the moral of the story ending. Even that works somehow. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was it was just well constructed, 
well-integrated story. It would almost be heavy-handed, except that we didn't figure out the point of the story until three panels before that. (laughs) But this story does a great job of explaining the history of Hanukkah, the practice of Hanukkah. Here's a menorah. Here's what it's for. This is why you do certain things on certain days. Even the things about it being more cultural than religious. That's a very important historical event to be remembered, as well as a strictly religious story. I did a little bit of research onto the the story of of Hanukkah, and it is in the books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees, which are part of the Apocrypha. They are in the Catholic Bible. They're not part of the Protestant Bible. And it's interesting that this is considered an important historical text in Judaism, but it's not an official religious text. You know, even for a, a, a practicing religious, you know, believer from that community, it's not at the same spiritual level as, say, the Exodus story yeah, or, or something like that. Something you like know, that. which is which is sort of officially part of the religious canon. This yeah. is more part of the historical record, almost. Mm-hmm. You know, to make that distinction. Uh, but still, obviously, it's certainly a part of American Jewish custom and practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for sure, and a vital part. So this takes place in between the closing of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament. So that's why it sort of fits in that apocryphal period mm-hmm. in, in terms of Protestant Christianity. So as they talked about in the story, this is during the Greek rule mm-hmm. of the Jewish people. They mentioned uh, Antiochus IV Epiphanes mm-hmm. was the leader at that time and was attempting to stamp out the Jewish faith. And so there was, of course uprising and rebellion and resistance. Uh, This story falls into the second temple period, so after the destruction of the first temple, but before 70 AD, when the second temple is destroyed. So I just think it's a neat story that really does a good job of explaining and then embodying Mm -hmm. that historical event and and that, that story. And I just thought it was a really surprising and neat story. Mm-hmm. You know, it was cool that it was not labeled as such anywhere. It was not a very special holiday episode. Yeah, and it's not kitschy, especially in the page and a half where uh, Stu is explaining Hanukkah. It's just very matter of fact of like, yep, mm-hmm. this is, here's a Jewish guy, and he's going to tell us the meaning of Hanukkah and explain things to Ray, who doesn't have any idea what's going on. Yeah. And it's just, it's very real that it... For a story that was published in 81, it's sort of there at that cusp of trying to be a little bit more realistic and a little Mm -hmm. bit more human, where everyone just sort of has their very human emotional moments, even, you know, Black Canary trying to talk about her (laughs) romance woes and Batman just wanting nothing to do with it. La, 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 I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Please don't tell me anything about you and Ollie's love life. Oh, God, I don't want to know. I think it's smart you put in those sort of human elements of the characters. So when they're in this life and death struggle, you've sort of laid in this mm-hmm. these human vulnerabilities and human characteristics. I get just a really well-constructed story. It's really, I, I, I just keep coming back to that, to how mm-hmm. well it was put together. I'm thinking this is up there with the Comfort and Joy episode of Justice League Unlimited for just really great Justice League holiday mm-hmm. stories that really... Mm-hmm get the holidays in the importance of togetherness and family and relationship, but not in a cheesy sort of over the top holiday special preachy kind of way, but just in a, 
it's a special day. You shouldn't be alone. You should be with people you care about. It was really sweet. Well, so that wraps up the holiday-themed aspect of the episode. We are going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about lots and lots of feedback that you all have kindly sent us. Ho, 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 little girl. What's your name? Can I pull your beard? Uh, ho, ho, no! What do you want for Christmas? Um, I don't know. A spotted elephant and a choo-choo with square wheels on the caboose and a water pistol that shoots jelly and a bird that swims and a cowboy who rides an ostrich and a boat that can't stay afloat. That's quite a list you got there, little girl. Most of all, I want all of my favorite geeky Christian podcasts that engage faith and pop culture to do a Christmas crossover for the holidays. Well, let me make a list and check it twice. A Christmas crossover for 2015 would probably consist of Strangers and Aliens at StrangersAndAliens.com Geekly Yoked at GeeklyYoked.com Helix Reviews at Facebook.com slash Helix Reviews The Spirit Blade Underground Podcast at SpiritBlade.com Darkness to Light at DarknessToLight.blogspot.com The Untold Podcast at UntoldPodcast.com Geek This at GeekThisPodcast.com And Voices in My Head at rickleejames.com slash podcast. Ho, ho, ho! That's it! And, of course, a crossover like that would need some sort of nexus. Links to all these podcasts can be found at crossovernexus.com. Well, there you go, little girl. Anything else you want? I want an official Red Rider Carbine Action 200 shot range model air rifle. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. And we're back. Wanted to talk about that promo uh, just for a second. That group has done similar crossover events in the past, and I wanted to specifically thank Ben Avery for inviting us to participate this year. And of those shows, the ones I know best are Strangers and Aliens, Helix Reviews, and Spirit Blade. As a matter of fact, Spirit Blade is a podcast that we've been fans of for about as long as we've been listening to podcasts. Yeah, just about. I think it was one of our first three just about that we yeah. download it was tom versus comics so at the time it was tom versus jla I think tom right. versus it was whatever was before tom versus flash that yeah. was way back in the day and then two true freaks episode like six and spirit, and spirit blade, blade. <laughs> it was definitely in the in the early stages so plenty of podcasts on that promo to uh to check out and uh, those are three that uh, specifically i can recommend and we do have a bunch of feedback now from the first two actual podcast episodes, plus some feedback on the blog posts and just general thoughts about what we have going here. And since we really haven't found a place to do feedback yet, we're going to go through the entire Santa size stack of your emails, faxes, and notes. Regarding the announcement of this podcast, which was probably from the Shortbox Showcase episode or the introductory blog post, we got several nice comments. Bradley Knoll said, Yes, I love this idea. I will be one of the five people who follows this. Four other people wrote in to say, <laughs> Darren Sutherland said, This is a great idea, and Ruth and I are looking forward to following along with your discussions. I'm sure it will be interesting, insightful, and thought-provoking. See, we can count them as two. Aha! So there we Six. go. <laughs> Ron Sadowski, the man behind the Dinner for Geek's Throne, 
said he was excited to hear the project. And no, it will be interesting, but of course the devil, or God, or nondescript spiritual force or whatever, is in the details. Jim Rimoldi commented that this seemed like a great idea, and that he was looking forward to taking this journey with us. Neil Stanifer said, Looking forward to whatever you cover on this show. This is the most excited I've been for a podcast since Welcome to Night Vale. I'm going to just put that feather okay, in our Okay, now that is... Look, I appreciate the people saying nice things about us. That's a bit over the top. Mm, maybe slightly. But we appreciate that, Neil. He continues, imagine me at your backs making fist-pumping gestures. Unless that's weird, in which case, imagine me in a dinner jacket, smoking a pipe, waggling my eyebrows thought-provokingly, and stroking a beard, muttering, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Pseudo-pretentious, vaguely intellectual. That is us, and evidently that's some of our listeners. We have found our people. <laughs> I did a blog post on a weird Bible mistake that the X-Files made in, a, in an episode, and a commenter named Mike left this. Maybe the set decorator just misread a memo? Or maybe it's proof that the X-Files takes place in an alternate universe where the Book of John has at least 52 chapters. Does that make it part of the new 52? Oh, I, when he said... Alternate universe and 52. <laughs> I assume he did not know what he was saying. But that is too, too crazy. I've been sitting on that joke for a week. <laughs> uh, Ed Moore commented on a couple of my Gotham by Midnight reviews. Says, uh, I agree, this book sounded interesting, but I didn't realize how much I would like it until after reading it. I'm not sure too many artists could have added to the prose as much as Ben Templesmith has. I'm a big fan of his work. And I find Ben Templesmith's art really, really weird, which makes it perfect. I've seen some of his Silent Hill work, right. and it just doesn't go right, because then everything looks weird and bizarre and freaky, and you kind of miss the point. But on Gotham by Midnight, it's so good, because Everything is just so freaky looking. And and he did the art on, I guess, about the first half of yeah. the series. There was an art change around issue five or six. And he certainly was the right person to set the template for what Definitely. the art in that, in that series was going to be. Mm -hmm. On issue two, Ed commented, Sister Justine is a cool foil for Jim Corrigan. And I hope she's around for as long as he is. I hope that the Spectre is used only as a secondary character. As humans trying to deal with supernatural threats, we much more interesting than watch them being handled by the Wrath of God, which again is one of the things that Gotham by Midnight, I think, has done really well, is to pull back on the Spectre and only pull out the big gun when, when it's really necessary. Really needed. I also did a review of a Christian comic, which reminds me it's time to do another review in that series. And Chris Woolett wrote in to ask, do you remember a comic series in the late 90s or early 2000s about metal armored angels? That is the year 2000 in a nutshell. <laughs> Similar to Silverhawks that were stopping a new age drug plot. I think it was Archangels. That's when David's Mighty Men also came out. They were very hard to find and really expensive when I remember. I mean, not 3.99, but really expensive. Yeah. What we considered expensive 15 years ago for a comic, and what we consider now 
Oh, two ninety nine. That's a bargain. What a great deal. <laughs> now I don't remember those stories, Chris, but the closest I could come up with was a black and white book from around nineteen nineties ish about warrior angels called The Unforgotten. Chad Bokelman, noted fan of Ragman, posted a cover shot of a Brave and the Bold issue that was a holiday team up of Batman and the Tatterdemalion of Justice. We'll Which, put that on the uh, the possible long list. There is a... For next year. We will talk about our potential suggestions list that listeners have made, and that is certainly one of them. On our first actual episode, all about the Daredevil episode Speak of the Devil, we got feedback from Gene the Podcasting Machine Hendrix. Alan and Emily. As a recovering Catholic, practicing heathen, and comic book fan, I have to say that if this episode is an example of what is to come, then I am on board 100%. You both brought insight and knowledge to your analysis of this episode, and I really enjoyed it. Now, I've been out of the Christian mindset for over 20 years now, so I'm not surprised that I didn't pick up on some of the it's no longer subtext, it's text moments <laughs> that you mentioned. Like you, I thought that Father Latte was one of the best characters in the Daredevil series. Having done an intellectual search, including lots of reading to finally come to my own religious views, I appreciate his point of view on the subject. Plus, anytime a priest, cleric, pastor avoids saying it's God's plan or God's will, that show gets bonus points. I love that this is a priest that says there are some things it's really hard to come back from. Very refreshing. And there's more on Father Latte to come. Oh, yeah. I think everyone can agree that Father Latte is pretty much the best thing from that show. <laughs> uh, Darren Sutherland wrote in and said, Hi, Emily and Professor Allen. Ruth and I were looking forward to the first episode of Darkness to Light, and we weren't disappointed. We don't have Netflix, and therefore haven't seen Daredevil, but we were intrigued by your comments back in the Marvel TV season review episode. You did a great job of walking through the episode and discussing the imagery and symbolism. It was easy to keep up without even seeing the episode. We've subscribed to the podcast and look forward to future episodes whenever they show up on our app. Take care, Darren. I'm really glad to know that people could enjoy our episode even without seeing the episode. That's part of why we really wanted to make sure that we included audio clips mm, in that first right. episode. That was something I pushed for really, really yes. hard. Mm -hmm. So I was like, we've got to have clips so that people can keep up with this. Mm -hmm. Good call. It's not just so I can rip off the Arkham Sessions. I mean, it's partially so I can rip off the Arkham I'm Sessions. sure. Mike Bradley, who we have met in real life, there is a picture taken in everything, wrote in to us a few weeks ago. Alan and Emily, just heard the first episode of Dorkness to Light. Yes, I just heard it. I'm a little behind. What you gonna do? While this episode wasn't really for me, per se, because I haven't seen the Netflix show, cred minus three, I enjoyed the discussion and the banter between the two of you. When I get around to watching the series, at 2062 at this rate, I'll revisit the episode. I've been monitoring your blog, and it and the podcast are an interesting concept. I like shows that will approach comics or related media from an angle and format that's different from the character synopsis review format most shows use. Nothing wrong with that format, but I also like the idea of approaching things from a thematic or topical angle and looking at things in a broader sense, connecting with themes and topics from real life. The comic book medium is rife with material that would be great for the show, and I look forward to future episodes. I'll try to listen to those ones in a more timely manner. Michael. You know, we don't care so much about when you listen, just that you listen. And actually, for the most part, we are talking about evergreen topics. 
like earlier in the episode when we covered a 34-year-old comic book. Exactly. So, <laughs> our podcasting buddy Noel Thingval said that the first episode was fantastic. Fascinating discussion, even for an outsider like me. Neil Stanifer, who we had mentioned had emailed us about Daredevil beforehand, sent in this. Dear Middletons, I'm glad you brought up the serious treatment of Catholicism in particular, and I would say Christianity in general, in the show. Too often, as you pointed out, faith is treated like a panacea in pop culture, which cheapens it. And Christian cinema has been especially guilty of this. I'm looking at you, Kirk Cameron! We are all looking at you, Kirk Cameron, right now. Cameron! In his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman criticizes user-friendly Christianity, specifically targeting televangelism and prosperity gospel, saying in effect that by transforming what should be a demanding and rigorous religion into a show you can watch on television from your lazy boy, we drive hard questions off the stage and demote God to the level of Fozzie Bear. What I love so much about Father Lantum, apart from his portrayal as a rounded, fully fleshed out character, is that he's not some Pez dispenser of forgiveness and platitudes. He's not a Christian who happens to give advice, nor is he an advisor who happens to be Christian. Instead, he's the first fictional priest I've ever seen who fully entwines a very difficult and demanding faith with the wisdom of a man who has seen humanity at its very worst. When he tells Matt he likes to have a moment of the day, just me and him, he doesn't tell us he draws reassurance from that moment. It might be he's looking up there asking why, and the answer he gets is something like, you're a sharp cookie, figure it out yourself. <laughs> Look, I love that insight, actually. <laughs> the connection between Lantham and Matt is one of the most profound I've seen on television, as it is, for want of a better word, soul deep. When Matt admits to Karen that there are times when his faith is no longer of help to him, he speaks for thousands at least of believers who are honest enough to admit that sometimes belief can't overcome life's tragedies, that even the devout suffer, and that grief is a human response that can overwhelm any philosophy or worldview, precisely because it is not rational, not something we can weigh and balance against our desires and closely held beliefs. Yes, as Neil points out, the self-help version of Christianity that dominates at least religious broadcasting does not reflect historical Christian orthodoxy nor does it prepare anyone to face life's struggles. Which, by the way, the Bible promises you will have plenty of, not that it will magically rescue you from them. That is such a misconception, and it, it dominates some streams of modern American, sort of Western Protestant thought. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. And I like this notion that Neil's pointing out, that struggle, that doubt, that unbelief are parts of the Christian experience at various points in time. Mm -hmm. One of my absolute favorite Bible quotes is the person who says, Lord, I believe, help, help my, my unbelief. unbelief. If people understood that help my unbelief comes right after Lord, I believe, and is a natural expected part of life's journey, then I think we'd have a lot fewer disappointed, disgruntled, disillusioned people of, of faith or, or pe people formerly of faith. And we will probably never discuss this, because even though I do want at some point to take a couple little rabbit trails down our personal opinions mm -hmm. or uh, discussions about theology and 
sort of split some theological right. hairs mm-hmm. at some point on this show. We also want to keep it mostly positive. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to ever have an episode about my deep-seated, <laughs> one-way feud with Joel Olstein. But the fact that he is as popular and quote-unquote well-respected, <sighs> like personally deeply offends my soul. The fact that you have to put his books back Ugh. on the library shelves. The fact that he is shelved like... 20 books away from C.S. Lewis makes me really irrationally angry. (laughs) Back to Neil's email. Which is very positive and insightful. Father Lantum, and to a lesser degree Matt himself, seems to be the kind of believer who walks a narrow and difficult line between the unanswered questions and the unquestioned answers. He remains devout while still holding simple dogma at arm's length. When Matt presents him with the simplistic dichotomy between killing fists and doing nothing, Lantum could easily have invoked Catholic dogma of acts versus omissions, saying something like, we are only sinful when we ourselves have acted wrongly. Instead, being the wise advisor and practical man that he is, he points out the falsehood of Matt's dilemma and challenges him to go between its horns. Pun semi-intended. While I've chattered on long enough, I'll say again how pleased I am that the two of you are going ahead with this project, and I look forward eagerly to the next episode. All the best, Neil. When people write in, you know, we will cover the emails on the show, but it's been our practice on this show and Relatively Geeky to reply in a timely manner via email. So this actually sparked a little bit longer conversation between myself and Neil, and, and, and I replied to this email in part with, I think that the walk of faith is often hard, and presenting it as other than hard does a disservice. Portraying the life of faith as nothing but overcoming, or any other Joel Osteen (gasps) mumbo-jumbo, is not encouraging, it's deceptive. And then Neil replied and said, agreed, and I'll chime in from my side by saying that secular ethics is a hard journey too. As a certain famous Australian ethicist once told me, If ethical questions seem easy, you're doing it wrong. Agreed. And then Neil ended with, you guys know I've got your back and keep doing what you're doing. I want to take a moment here and pause. Mention how awesome it is, the diversity and variety of listeners that we have got on this show. Neil, as a self-avowed atheist, is one of our consistent commenters and supporters Another one of our frequent emailers describes himself as a practicing pagan. And of course, we have plenty of listeners who identify as Christians, but we have a good smattering of agnostics and questioning non-believers of various stripes. That's awesome. It's amazing. It reminds me of one of our favorite podcasting role models, Tyler Smith, who's been able to attract people again from across the sort of religion and belief or just worldview spectrum to his show more than one lesson that looks at movies from a discerning sort of christian perspective but somehow what yeah. we've been able to accomplish here is, is similar to what he has and being able to attract folks from other perspectives and to be certainly open and willing to listen to those uh, perspectives and mm-hmm. certainly appreciate everyone who who listens and this is just turning into a really Pretty amazing community. People say if you can't find the book you want to read, 
go write it. And the same thing really does apply to podcasting. Mm -hmm. We couldn't find the podcast and community. And I searched for months, probably going on a year, for a Tumblr that was Mm -hmm. like our Tumblr, where you could have (laughs) jokes and insight and quotes and, you know, stuff from a whole variety of religious perspectives all in one place. And I guess we just had to go and make it. (laughs) But we have awesome, awesome commenters. Yes. One of which would be Chris Braley, who said that he wanted to drop us both a message of encouragement and support. I really enjoyed your first episode and look forward to you continuing with many more. As a Christian and comics fan, I can say that this niche you have chosen is welcome. As a collector, I've sought out particular issues of The Flash, Superman, several of the Archie, Spire, Christian comics, and the Dennis the Menace and Bible Kids comics, specifically for their covers or overt Christian themes presented in each one. Thanks again, and I look forward to future discussions. Best regards, Chris. On the Facebook post for that first episode, Ryan Daly, Scott McGregor, Chris Tyler, Mark Adams, Jonathan Kreitz, they all commented uh, on on enjoying the episode. And then we got into another long discussion with Neil Stanifer. This one, however, was about our proposed team-up crossover of Jim Rockford and Father Lantham, who Neil announced are his two favorite fictional characters of all time. And I think that could make one pretty awesome Netflix show. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> you know, because... You know, Rockford's clients could never pay him. That was one of the ongoing shticks of his show. So you've got Lantum working in the poor community. I could certainly see some overlap between the father's congregation and Rockford's clients. What you're saying is that you would not be surprised if Jim Rockford worked in Hell's Kitchen? Yes, it would not surprise me. (laughs) On our second episode featuring The Spectre, Noel Thingval called this one superb. The Spectre is a character I really need to read more of. And I think we can certainly agree with that. It's something we need to read more of. Definitely. certainly encourage others to as well. Gene Hendricks wrote in on this episode as well. Thank you, Gene. Greetings, Middletons. Very interesting coverage on the Spectre. As with foxholes, there aren't any atheists in the DC or Marvel universes. Just too much evidence there for any doubters, I suppose. I agree that you'd think there would be more Jewishness in the medium that was created primarily by Jews. However, there is a long history of Jews being looked down upon, even in America, so it makes sense that they would want to downplay that, especially in the 30s and 40s. And he talks about Stan Lee using that as a pseudonym as opposed to his actual Jewish name, Stan Lee Lieber. Yeah. And I can certainly understand that, especially in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. I mean, with this modern push for diversity, you would think that Marvel would release a freaking Benjamin J. Grimm Hanukkah episode. Van Grimm Hanukkah. Van Grimm Hanukkah. And Gene's comment there also reminded me, though, of one of my favorite jokes from a She-Hulk novel that I read. Not a comic book, but an actual prose novel that came out four or five years ago. And the law firm that Jen Walters worked at was something to the effect of Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Goodman. That's great. Which I thought was pretty funny. An inside joke for the deep comic book people. Mm-hmm. And a, a little a little shout out on the sly. That's right, to, to Stan and Jack. 
And then Gene did have to take us to task. He disagreed with our definition of polytheism, being that all gods are equal and worship as one. Because he's a polytheist. He says, I acknowledge that many gods exist, but I don't worship all of them. I worship the Norse gods only. Not a single one and not all at once, but I don't give anything to other gods. I don't do anything with Egyptian gods, for example, because they aren't my gods. It doesn't mean I don't think they're worthy of worship. It's just that I don't worship them. Henotheism isn't fully correct for me because I don't believe in a single god, but the general spirit of that term would be closer to what I believe. Gene. All right. And this one is a total mea culpa on my part. It was a slip of the tongue. Gene is correct. Polytheism is a system of belief where a practitioner worships a pantheon. For example, as he said, the Norse gods, not a single Norse capital G god. But they do not worship other pantheons, such as, say, the Hindu gods. Pantheism, not polytheism, is the belief that all those various gods across pantheons are different aspects of the same gods. For example, the Romans and that whole Zeus-Jupiter thing. Right. Or that they are all one grand force of spiritual somethingness. The New Agey sort of. That's okay. the thing is, I tend to use the terms interchangeably, mm. but that is a... The t- being pantheism and polytheism. Yes, I tend to use them interchangeably because they get conflated a lot in pop mm. culture and in modern quote, like, general paganism, Mm -hmm. some types of Wiccan, New Age-type spiritualist Mm -hmm. practices where there isn't that sort of, I don't want to say loyalty, but that sort of focus on, Mm -hmm. like, one specific pantheon. So they are actually very different things. Gene is correct. Thank you for asking me to clarify that. On the Facebook post for Episode 2, Chad Bokelman posted, Yes! Yes! And Ryan Daly wins the award this time for most over-the-top response. Been looking forward to this episode all my life. Okay, then. Ryan might need to get a life if that's the case. (laughs) Andy Capellish, Alexander Adrock, and Kyle Benning also posted nice things about that episode. So thank all all of those folks. And did want to give shout-outs to our two iTunes reviewers as well. Gene Hendricks, again, titled his Insightful and Well-Presented. As someone who's done a lot of thinking about religion and is a longtime comic book geek, I was really happy that Professor Allen and Emily were going to do this show. And now that I've heard it, I'm really happy that they're doing the show. They've made the topic of religious symbolism in comics less of a hot-button topic and more of a reasoned discussion. We get a much more nuanced approach than other shows. Very well done. And Chris Willette said, This is a great look at religious symbolism and storylines in pop culture. It's in-depth, respectful, and intellectual. If you enjoy philosophy, you should try this show, even if you don't consider yourself either a dork or in the light. (laughs) Now, as we've said, a few people have made suggestions for things that we should cover, and we really love that, although I confess that the list we already have is pretty long. But just shout-outs to some of the things that people have suggested. And and might be making their way onto that list. It's possible. Promethea by Alan Moore, Warrior Nun Ariella, a manga-style comic book that is being made into a movie. Oh. I've actually seen... 
some of those in quarter bins. So maybe I need to actually grab a few out. The tithe, the music of the Mountain Goats, specifically their Bible-based album, The Life of the World to Come. I've been trying to do a little bit of spotlighting of music on our Tumblr. I actually that haven't posted as go. many recently. But I, I kind of wanted to do maybe a musical episode or at least an episode that talks about some stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, Johnny Cash has already gotten yes. a, a bit of a shout out. <laughs> there's a lot of really good religiously themed, interesting music. That might be a possibility. And I do like the Mountain Goats. And one that has been suggested? Repeatedly, I'm pretty sure. Babylon 5. That one was already on the list. We're just working out the details. Yep. The short version is, I don't know of a future-based science fiction show that has ever treated religion better. Definitely. Just leave it at that for now. Dude, so, just one, Just going to say one thing. Passing through Gethsemane. And we're good! And that's just one, one of episode. many scenes Ugh. and episodes and characters and storylines. So we need to figure out how we're going to handle that. Are we going to try and do a season overview, a episode series, ep- another episode special? I mean, that would almost be too much with the Daredevil episode. We don't want to repeat ourselves. But that episode's really good. Brother Theo. Brother Theo is right up there with Father Latte for just sheer awesomeness of Catholics. Space monks. I've threatened to do blog posts on favorite clerics in fiction. Father Lantom, Brother Theo. Father Cosmeyer. Cosmeyer. Those are just a couple that have come to mind. So anyway. So we do have a few ideas picked out for the next few episodes, but... I don't think we're going to announce any of those things now. Everything, especially on this show, is subject to change. And we're not even going to promise when that next episode is coming out. But stay tuned. One last thank you to everyone for writing in, for listening, for being interested in these long, rambling discussions. I'm glad we have managed to find our people who are actually interested in these sorts of things. I cannot tell you how encouraging... It has been to receive the feedback and the comments and such positivity for what we understand can be a tricky, divisive topic sometimes. So really appreciate the respect that you've shown us. And we would like to wish you all a happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Season's greeting. And a blessed and joyous 2016. May the force be with you. And also with you. Special thanks go to Ryan Daly, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Ben Avery, and Andy Leyland for their audio contributions. While you're waiting for the next podcast episode, check out our websites. DarknessToLight.blogspot.com contains reviews essays, and other similar ramblings. And dorkdistolight.tumblr.com, which contains some of that material, as well as top tens, cool photographs, memes, and religious puns. We also run a general interest comic book podcast network, Relatively Geeky. That content can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, or by searching iTunes for Relatively Geeky. 
let us know what you think of this topic, this episode, or this podcast in general. Feel free to send your thoughts to us at dorknesstolight at gmail.com. We would also appreciate any ratings or reviews left for the podcast in the iTunes store to help like-minded people find us. Our intro, outro, and promo music is by Anderson Kale. Check them out at andersonkale.com or search iTunes to purchase their music. Thanks for listening.